0: Listener Production. The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild course language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deake speaking. Hello and welcome to FOFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson and my guest this week. You might know him as the front man from alt rock legend band Children Collide. You might know him as Lord Fascinator or is it just Fascinator? I never get that right. Johnny <laughs> McKay, welcome to FOFOP. G'day Charlie. How are you? Good. Is it Lord Fascinator or is it Fascinator?
1: Well, Fascinator is sort of the band, uh, which has had over a hundred different members. And then Lord Fascinator is more me as an entity, whether that be DJing or composing or myself in Fascinator.
0: And so when you say you've had like over a hundred people in the band, does that include the people who get up and play like air instruments when you do gigs?
1: Well, that was just a phase. It's gone through many different phases, but there was this period where I would always have an air band. I love it. And that. I'd been, some, some friends would visit New York and um, I'd be like, have you ever been on stage before? And they'd say no. And I'm like, do you think you can handle playing air synth or whatever? <laughs> and then uh, I'd, I'd get them to come to the Bowery Ballroom or wherever I played that night and um, we'd, we'd make an air band. And um, yeah, so uh, over time, I guess, because of them and other different um instrumentalists actual instrumentalists i um have got quite a uh a body count going for our band members
0: well how how does it work though in music where like i understand the term session musician right that is an uncredited musician who comes in to play on like your album or something when you're recording not necessarily uncredited
1: um and it's not really the way things work with me anyway um i just a thing on the weekend with a bunch of really amazing musicians who some of them play with Florence and the Machine some of them work with Solange and Del Rey and different people I guess they're kind of session musicians in a in a sense but they're also like specialists in their in their instrument and have the create their own music in their own right and um, with me, it's more people that can improvise. So I'll get them up live. I'm, I've met like flute players on the street, and then got them up that night, and they've played the whole set with me. You know, so I wouldn't necessarily refer to that person as a session musician, quote <laughs> unquote. I'm, I'm not. I'm not paying them any union rate. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. <laughs> so you literally saw like someone playing the flute on the street, and how long do you have to watch them to know oh. that they could? No, no, no. I've
1: met people that I've never seen play, and they've just told me they play flute, <gasps> and I've told them.
0: What's this? What's the thinking <laughs> well, behind that? Like,
1: the, well, the thing is that anyone that's confident enough to get up and improvise over someone's set is probably okay. It's only backfired on me once or twice.
0: What, what, what were those instances? How did it backfire?
1: Well, there was one person that just played there. I'm not going to say the instrument because you know, uh, there's just one person that got up and played an instrument, and you can't really do it for every single section of every single song for an entire set, <laughs> improvising this a certain instrument. So it would just kept going and going. I'm, I'm, like, trying to, like, elbow them going, hey, like, not this song or not this part. And then it's like I, for some reason I, we're just so in it and quite out of tune. Right. Uh, and- <laughs> Yeah, so it can backfire, and, uh, yeah, that's that's just the nature of improvisation, and I guess that's why it's exciting too to do but, to do uh, have improvised elements in your music.
0: So, but, I mean, I'm just fascinated by the uh, no pun intended. Uh, I am uh, in, enchanted by the idea that's that's going to be a uh, new. I'm telling ego. Lord
1: Enchanter, you Lord, said that. <laughs>
0: yeah, Lord <laughs>
1: Enchanter,
0: um, <laughs> the idea that like someone says oh, I can do this, and you're like, like, do you not feel the need to vet them beyond? just the uh, the claim that they can play the instrument because i can i can play the ukulele but i imagine that my version of what playing a ukulele is compared to your version of what a playing a ukulele is a vastly different
1: i'm right now offering you an official invitation to play the ukulele with me live one night charlie
0: well am i allowed to look at my fingers cuz i have to i have to look at the strings i can't like you, i'm not <laughs> you can look at you can look whatever you want oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know like three just chords. Just don't
1: look me directly in the eyes and, and, we're, and we're
0: cool. Okay, right. It's the Tom yeah. Cruise principle where I'm not yeah. allowed to make direct eye contact with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with this idea of like getting the musicians up on stage, like do they stay up for the whole gig or is it like you I'll usually word them-, them up. Yeah.
1: Well, with someone that I've just met, which has happened quite a few times, with someone I just met, I'll usually be like, I'll give you the nod, especially after a couple of them went, went awry. I, I've now kind of I'm like, I'll give you the nod, come on to the third song, and then I'll, I'll sort of shoo them off and then bring them back on. And um, But, yeah, like the, I played a festival in Queensland when I was back in November and um, I don't know, there's a band called Haiku Hands that I'm friends with and one of the girls, they were playing and one of the girls had their dad there and I just jokingly said, oh, you don't play sax, do you? And the guy's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, you don't have any car, do you? He's like, yeah, I do and he and he got up and played sax with me my friend's dad and uh, he was amazing but he like he came on back on for a song where i had already shooed them off and he just like walked on <laughs> without and but he was right he he killed it it was awesome but you know so sometimes i you know it's not like Being strict is the opposite of the idea of it. The idea of it is to be loose and have this kind of playful energy on stage. Makes it more interesting for me, and it gives a risk. Whereas so many bands today are just backing track and and trying to be completely replicate their studio sound on stage. Um, I I think, and I, you know, to some extent, we did that with Children Collide for a while too. And I think I kind of wanted to react against that and um,
0: bring a little risk. Did you watch uh, Get Back? The The Beatles that three part I'm very slowly
1: devouring that actually I'm um oh. that, that's that's an oxymoron isn't it I'm very slowly no, you can devour um, slowly I, like imagine I'm, a
0: boa constrictor slowly devours like an yeah. entire deer.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like I like to watch it with a guitar hand, an acoustic guitar handy just in case I feel like having a little noodle so um yeah I'm kind of almost at the end of the second one I,
0: I can imagine it. like I mean I'm not obviously a musician but that documentary like in terms of just dropping you into what I imagine like a rehearsal space is like. Like, because I mean, Jem's not really even a huge Beatles fan, but she and I were both just like obsessed with getting to the end of that. And the way we sort of talked about it at the end is we wanted to hang out with our friends, John Paul, George, and Ringo, because it, it gives you such an intimate idea of this sort of creative process and just how mundane it is a lot of time. Like, they spend so much time just either fucking around or playing other people's songs. And there's just this kind of like sense of, it's really sort of bl- blue collar in a way. It's just like they just front up and they just hang out and they, they just work and work and work until something happens. But there is this moment where they start sort of, the filmmakers start identifying which of these tracks actually ended up on the album. And what I was really fascinated by was, it was literally like just the whole recording. It wasn't like they took the guitar track from here and then they got to redo it five or six times. Like it was literally, this is the track that ends up on the final album.
1: Well, there's technical reasons for that um, because they're not recording to a click track or a grid. It's not digital. It's um, there are plenty of Beatles songs where they've spliced bits in and whatever and done overdubs, but yeah. When you're recording to tape, which um, I'm about to put out an album that was all recorded to tape, it's you pretty much got to, yeah, just get the take with with who, who's playing at the time.
0: Yeah, right. So, yeah. can you listen to like those? I mean, I guess maybe the remasters are the wrong ones, but listen to those Beatles albums and pick. You can you pick from listening, or is this from your research or reading that you've done that you can tell what's? Yeah, been-
1: research and read, and, and once you get told, yeah. But um, well, I think the remasters are really good. The most recent remasters are amazing.
0: So what does it mean, though, when they're in? What are they doing when they go in there? Um,
1: I'm, it's such a dark art to me, and there are <laughs> some technical things I know about. But, but I, from what I understand, and there was two guys that remastered this last uh, batch, um, a guy named Paul Hicks and um, Giles Martin, who's George Martin's son. George right. Martin being the, the fifth Beatle guy that produced and, and arranged and all that and played on it a lot. And what I understand, they, they're kind of going in and um, so he actually used AI to, to I think, or so, some kind of special thing to pull out frequencies for that Get Back thing and remaster. And they were able to sort of remix stuff to its extent. I know that they didn't try to fuck with it too much, you know. Well, like I think they what tried to just
0: with Get, with Get Back is they developed the AI mainly so they could separate and pluck out each – band members voice so that they, the voices they could yeah yeah but then they realized they could apply that to the instruments as well because once the algorithm knows like george harrison's guitar and so that would then i guess create greater opportunities when remastering when you can actually isolate the the guitar specifically yeah.
1: i think the other the other there was two other reasons for the remaster or two two other aspects i understand for the remaster which is getting uh there's a really good uh podcast where rick rubin i think talks to giles martin and he talks about this, when they went to the streaming services, Spotify, Apple, et cetera, they um, convinced them to change the way streaming music was handled just for the Beatles because they wanted a higher quality. Um, so there may have been a, a level of remastering for that, I think maybe. And also there's the um, the 360 degree uh, audio that Apple are doing as well. So there's, there's mastering for that as well, which happens if you've got AirPods, uh, if you've got AirPods, it, it treats music slightly differently, I'm pretty sure. Um if if it's ma- if it's mastered in a certain way,
0: so hang on. What's this three hundred and sixty degree audio? You know
1: what? I, I I'm not qualified to talk about it. Um, <laughs> well, so I, think should, I think we should. I think we should. I think we should move on, lest lest I uh, lest I say something really dumb. Because um yeah, to me it's a, it's a dark art of music. It's something that I pass off after I finish um, recording something. Usually I may mix it myself. I will never master it myself.
0: But it's because I know that you've recorded you've recorded whole albums just in like your apartment right like you've just i I will
1: i will brag about something related and paul hicks one of those mastering guys has mastered my latest album that's about to come out and that was like a weird bit of kismet where we were doing this album recording the tape and kind of in that that vein um that beatlesy sort of era was what we're sort of going for and to the actually to the point where the producer was playing me isolated john lennon vocals right before i do a vocal take and going try and try and get to this i'm like try and get to john lennon (laughs) Like, uh, like <laughs> I, and I'd I try, sure. but, um, but anyway, then we'd, um, then we joked, this is 2018, we joked about getting the guy that was remastering the Beatles to master it, and then I ended up staying underneath him in um, LA early last year, and met him and had a beer, um, and... He uh, yeah, agreed to do it, which is cool.
0: <laughs> that's that's really cool. So yeah. could George Martin's son have a less British name than Giles? <laughs>
1: like, yeah, I know. I it's know.
0: That, did you ever see there was that sketch on The Fast Show, one of those um, late 90s British sketch shows? There's a George Martin sketch and it starts off George Martin telling one of his anecdotes. Like if you've ever watched any Beatles documentary, George Martin always would tells the same anecdotes and it's like, you know, Uh, You know, I was aware they smoked marijuana, but, you know, I didn't approve They, they wouldn't do it in front of me. And then he'd talk about, like, you know, the making of Hey Jude or whatever. And in this sketch show, like, he's talking and he gets abducted by like, you know, just a random group of terrorists. And then like a few sketches later, you see him and he's still talking, telling another anecdote while the terrorists are filming some kind of hostage video. And then later in the sketch, you see him and he's being rescued by like British Marines and he's still telling the same anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Like, you just had this quality. It's amazing to think that like, especially in Get Back, when you see the fashion and obviously where the Beatles were going creatively and you know that the amazing thing about get back is the way they've restored that 16 16 millimeter film so it looks like current day like george harrison's like Willy wonka that big purple shirt yeah yeah the
1: the colors are amazing i'm at the bit where they're arguing about the film stock they just had an argument about the film stock where paul's like well when we shoot on 35 millimeter and there george's like "Well, you can blow up 16 mil to make it look really good The, the cinemas will still take it but, well, um, if,
0: if you ever, Have you seen the original um, Let It Be film, like what they this is taken from? It's so interesting because it's such a fucking depressing, like everything about it from the look of it because it was shot on 16. It's really grainy and dark and desaturated, plus the energy that they're capturing in the studio is all the bickering, the not getting wow. along. They like edited, it's, that's
1: the, they're the bits they edited in, whether it was the fighting Yeah, because more, it's right? almost
0: like the original director – because it was the, it was their last studio album right that like was the last time the Beatles together and so i think by the time the film came out that was the angle and you watch it and it's just like it's really like a downer and then you see get back and it's almost the opposite like there's still the bickering and you can sense that there's like like the the group are being pulled in different directions obviously they all want to do their same things but there's i think it's quite like uplifting like in the second episode where is it billy preston the keyboardist yeah Comes in and let the change, what that does to the energy in the room. Yeah, yeah.
1: well, that that's definitely a thing that happens. I will say about them, one unique thing is affability and genius don't often aren't often in the same room together. And they're they're all geniuses, obviously, and they're so affable. And that's I think that's quite a unique thing about watching them in in a room together. Because I've been in a room with people I would consider geniuses, and they're they're not often that fun. (laughs) Sometimes, like sometimes, but yeah, it's like four people that are just brilliant and so fun and nice.
0: Yeah. Well, what
1: Apparently what do you make, not in that film.
0: <laughs> what do you make of the, um? like, the other thing that dispels for me is this idea that, like, Yoko was this hugely disruptive influence. The best review I read of Yoko in the documentary is it looks like the Beatles are playing in her living room. <laughs> She's just sort of, like, sitting there, like, reading a newspaper, having a cup of tea, you know. It's like, I, as a person who's played in bands, like, how do you think you would react to that presence?
1: Well, there's two points. I, I have I have read a bit on this, and um, apparently he wanted her next to him the whole time. Mm. And secondly, I mean, you've you've been, you know, what would be classed as somewhat of a celebrity, and and had probably the public members of the public write stuff about you or comment maybe on your relationship or whatever. And it's funny when people think they own the love life of a celebrity. But John Lennon could fucking could date whoever he wants. Like it's just weird that people, you know, he, he's a fucking grown ass man making his own decision in love with someone, and a band is also like a marriage to three people you're not attracted to. And <laughs> sounds <laughs> like a marriage. It's like a marriage. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know, like, I just always find that funny that people even talk about it. It's that shit happens in bands. Like all kinds of shit. If that's like the worst thing that happens in your band, you're lucky. It's like yeah. someone having a girlfriend that's around all the time.
0: <laughs> but it's but it's more just like, you know, regardless of what the sort of public or the press were writing about her, as you as the band member, if you were like Paul right. or George, like Okay, if, no, I see what you mean. Your your bandmate says, Hey, this is my new girlfriend and she's going to be sitting on the sessions. Like because I watched that and there's a bit in it where Paul, like, is quite defensive of John and Yoko where he's saying like, you know, this is the first time he's ever really been in love and he said he doesn't want it to be away from him. And, you know, I, I I kind of get that. And so I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Like that's different to the narrative. Okay. If I was
1: to put myself in the place of, of one of the other musicians you're saying, okay, if it was a private rehearsal room with no one else around except us, and we were doing something that we'd always done and we needed that kind of sacred uh, uninterrupted connection, then possibly, if I'm in a room with a bunch of cameras pointed at me and motherfuckers running around recording and doing other shit, then no, it doesn't makes no difference. There's a bunch of people I know yeah, less right. than Yoko in the room. I so mean, like- there are
0: two Hari <laughs> Krishnas in the corner chanting, so yeah. like, you can hardly say she's any more yeah. disruptive than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's um when you record? Like, do you do you have to be in a studio, or like has technology made it? Possible that you can just literally sort of you know put cushions up in your bedroom and, and that sounds good enough, or do you always have to fi- finish it in the studio?
1: I've I've written sometimes I compose I've composed music for like um, shorts and ads and stuff that's I've been like lying in bed for most of it, um.
0: <laughs> like like John. My God, that's why he wants you to sing like John. You're having a bed in, yeah, like yeah, John. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly, um, and yeah, but. It depends, man. But yes. Yeah, the the short answer to that is yes. I I did, recently had a song come out, kind of an anti I wrote an anti-war, anti-Putin sort of song with these Russian guys, a dance track. And it was actually tricky because when the release happened, they Why the were fuck um, are you
0: doing this, dude. Like Oh, uh, they Putin, his like they like they he fucking poisons
1: well, people. We had to be careful. We had to be careful. So yeah. I, I when they so anyway, when we started this song, I was in a studio. Then when they, then they this was a few years ago, then they're like, hey, that song, remember that song, can we kind of reword it to make it an anti-Putin, anti-war song? We're really worried that people that we know in like um, neighbouring countries uh, further west towards Europe or into Europe, they think all Russians are into this and, you know, we really want to make a song that says that we're not, um, which is weird for me as an Australian guy to try and put myself in these shoes. But I sort of started shooting back some ideas. But at that point I was like, in an apartment somewhere, maybe in New York, recording on my laptop, like using the MacBook microphone to do demos, then to redo it. Then I went to Mexico and I did the same. And we we're going back and forth. My first round was like, I, re- I learned how to say mm. fuck Putin in um, Russian. <laughs> and my um, dad had all these ideas, and they're like, ah, uh, yeah, we don't want to go to jail. So let's maybe <laughs> turn it down a bit. And then, uh, yeah, finally, I finished it off in this studio. I went from Mexico City to this. So, so I, I basically, had, this, this song has bits and pieces from. There's still bits from the MacBook mic. There's still bits from a really expensive mic in a studio. There's all kind of bits of um, stuff Frankensteined in there. And, um, yeah, but the, the, the day we released, they were escaping Russia because the he did the call-up, the mobilisation, and they were kind of escaping as we were putting out the song. But oh,
0: that's crazy. Um, but that didn't,
1: that's, that's, that's an off point to your question. But, yeah, yes, you, the short answer is yes, you can make a, a, a song or a piece of music on the laptop without, you know, on a plane if you want.
0: So in, so in your experience, like, you know, as long as you've been playing music, like in sort of filmmaking and, you know, even podcasting, broadcasting, there's been a democratization of, you know, anyone with a, an iPhone can make a film, you know, anyone with a microphone and a laptop can make a radio show. Is that the same with music? Do you feel y- yes? Um, and I don't have a problem with the democratization of creation. I have a
1: problem with the democratization with of curation. With democracy in
0: general. In fact, I no, support no, no, Putin. <laughs> no,
1: it's more like the democratization of curation. I have a problem with where ev- no one that's ever taught me anything about music or art is someone that likes everything. Everyone that's ever taught me anything like is kind of curmudgeon-y about something, and and you know, like is, is kind of snobby about something, and you know, has a strong opinions. and, I, and that, So, yeah, I don't mind the democratisation of creation of art and music, which I think, yes, it has happened in music, but um, I think there should be more snobs as gatekeepers.
0: <laughs> so, <but laughs> hang on, but w- all right, so when you say the democratisation as in do you think that because the, the market is flooded, like there is so many ways to access music, like sort of radio and, and the charts don't really seem to mean anything anymore? Is that what you kind of mean?
1: There's that. There's also, like, I think there's a thing where when the physical product was was more the way you made music out of money out of music, there was a, a, a commercial reason to aim most of the product at tweens because they were the ones that were going to buy the most product. So then the pop music machine, as it kind of grew and grew, I think really a- aimed at that and, and aimed at, like, and I've been in rooms with people writing it, trying to write a pop song, and I'm like, man, we're just, like, a bunch of... Th- like people in their thirties and forties trying to trick a fourteen-year-old into having their first romantic experience, like it, I find it kind of weird. <laughs> You're right. You
0: frame but it that's, like that. Yeah. That's
1: most pop music, and it's still going though. Like, and I, I see fucking like grown-ass adults listening, like listening or posting music, and I'm like, I, I find it weird. But that's because I'm a snobby asshole that it makes it my business to explore as much music as I possibly can. And the more you do that, the less kind of contemporary. Music is is as palatable to you, and I and I call it Uber music anyway. It's as music I could hear in an Uber anyway, so I don't need to uh, investigate it so much. Anyway, I'm not sure what sort of point I'm trying to make here. <laughs> no, lost. no, I I'm <laughs> just
0: am just curious because like I am someone who uh, I did a, a podcast actually a couple of days ago. Josh Earl has a, a podcast, got 100 kids. Josh, I've done a gig with
1: Josh. I did, a, I did a weird talk at a school with Josh once.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I think, and I was, I, I feel like I. I had to talk about being a musician to these kids and I was like, "If you do you not like money? Because- <laughs> 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 I can't what I said, but anyway, yeah. that's what I'm, So here's, uh,
0: here's a podcast that I'm on now. In fact, people can uh, seek it out and my episode is, is still, uh, I believe I'm still the current guest of this week. It's got 100% hits where he takes that, you know, the compilation album from the 90s, 100% hits, and just you just play the tracks and you review the tracks wow and out of that conversation sort of it's interesting because we're both of the same sort of vintage same age so you know we had discussions about um you know first album that you bought you know what bands were you into when you were a kid all this kind of stuff and what i was saying to josh is like i like music but i'm not a nerd about it like i know what i like but, I mean, you know, uh, take an album like Nevermind or something, I can't name you every track of Nevermind, but I know all the songs. Like if you play them yeah. to me, I know the songs. But there is, I think, this kind of, um, you know, when we listen to the tracks of these compilations, A, that idea of like, um, you know, albums or, or or singles, even singles having B-sides, like they would release a single and there's a B-side to the single or this idea that um, music was more curated or you had more of a connection to the bands because there was the physical media, you know, like we talked about, I remember I bought Appetite for Destruction. That was the first album I bought with my own money and actually like holding up that artwork and, you know, that scary, the skulls on the cross, and it was black. And then there's like a robot, you know, attacking a woman. And like, it all felt so fucking scary. And, yeah. and the 11 year old Catholic boy was like, am I going to help with this? You know, but that's uh-huh. part of the experience, right? Yeah. But because of Uber music, or I call it gym music, like it none of it feels special. Like it all feels kind of the same. And like I'm always amazed when there's any kind of controversy about, you know, Sam Smith where wore so-and-so to the Grammys, or, you know, little uh Nas X has done this music video where he's giving the devil a lap dance. I'm like, like none of this is like controversial or new or Oh, or-
1: it's a it's a human centipede of wank that is just trying to self-sustain <laughs> itself. But you know, I, th- I think one one part of it is, I mean, and I sympathise with people that work in the music industry because they have to find new things all the time. And there isn't really a prodigy that comes out more than once a year. I I think maybe twice if we're lucky. If you think back in the history of the world, how many like amazing timeless artists come out every year? Not many that last. And I think that's the other thing: like music that's of its time is really timeless, and music that's mm. timeless is really of its time.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing you get from listening to these compilation albums is like there's certain bands and artists where you're like, oh, that song, you could release it today and it sounds amazing. And then other stuff is so dated, like it's just, it's like a real 90s sound, you know, uh, like if, if on the rock side, it's sort of that grunge kind of it, you know, sort of distorted guitar thing. But then on the like pop side, it's just that kind of, uh, I don't know, it's that, what, what's the, there was a period of music in the 90s where it was like, I guess it was like um, uh, R&B, where there would be like a call and response like beat where it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It felt like every R&B song had that. I I like when they dance. I
1: like those dance tracks from that era, like C&C Music Factory and that kind of stuff where there'd always be a rapper come in and be like, I'm being cool because I'm in the pool. Like it was
0: always (laughs) like. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. (laughs) <laughs> and it really was being cool because we're in the pool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think, like maybe AI, maybe AI. You guys had a, a you and Will. I have had a chat about AI the other day, and I quite liked watching that. But um, the Will stand-up
0: routine that, as written by a, yeah. an AI robot, yeah,
1: yeah. Which you know, I, I I I would have liked to try and deliver deliver that myself and see what happened. I'd probably get <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, I I I think it might might actually really um heavily affect the pop, commercial pop engine more than anything because it's become so formulaic and they've kind of may have bitten themselves in the arse making it so formulaic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There's also this kind of thing of like it's all about branding now. Like With movies, for instance, you know, uh, superhero films have become the dominant, you know, blockbuster genre. But it's the snake's eating its own tail now because, you know, there was a time when comic books were like on the fringe of society and it was something that only like nerds or, you know, weirdos were into. And then that's been absorbed into the mainstream. And now that's become the dominant kind of media. But the problem is there's no investment going into comic books. Like the the where the story started and these characters ah. were created. Like cause it's the medium has shifted. And so they keep remaking or rebooting the same characters. But there's this discussion at the moment in the, like the comic industry is sort of in crisis because people aren't buying or reading as much, many comics, so they can't afford to hire new artists and new writers. But in order to sustain this behemoth, and I think like pop music's maybe in the same bracket where it's like, well, where – where are the new artists coming from like where are the new like you said the prodigy, the the prodigies the the kind of new exciting artists when it's like well you've created this system which only rewards this one kind of music or at least only rewards record companies from releasing this one kind of music
1: yeah well maybe it's good in a way because it the, the diamonds in the rough really shine brighter than. <laughs> oh, well, it's beautiful, man. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> I can't be a bitch for this whole podcast. <laughs> no, you're not sounding
0: too bitchy. Have you seen um uh, Moon Age Daydream, the Bowie documentary?
1: No, I have not. Does it have any Bowie music in it?
0: Yes, all the way through. Oh it does. It. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, no, there's cause there's two people get confused. There was a biopic that got right. released, or a biopic, I believe is okay. the correct way to pronounce mm-hmm. it, which was not approved by the Bowie estate, which apparently sucks because it because they weren't approved. They don't have any of the body music or whatever. But this is a – it's by the guy who did um, – what was that Kurt Cobain? Montage of Heck, the Kurt Cobain documentary. Mm -hmm. It's a really good filmmaker. Corbin or
1: something, like I was saying. Yeah, anyway.
0: Yeah, and so it's amazing because his attitude as a director is he's not trying to make a – like ticking off chronological events. This is – he was born here and then he studied here. And it's more about he tries to create an experience for you of what – Bowie tried to create when you went and saw Bowie in concert. So it's quite arty and weird and, you know, the mix of the, they do sort of remixes of certain Bowie songs, but it does kind of make you sort of realize like that kind of artist or artistry (laughs) is harder and harder to do now. Like he sort of, his most commercial sort of phase was really at the end of his career, like with Modern Love. Like the stuff at the start, even though he was, you know that's what made him a star, that was a lot edgier. Whereas now it seems to be the inverse: is like you've got to hit the ground in your most commercial form, and once they, you know, you trust it, then you can sort of start getting a bit more experimental.
1: That that is spoken about a lot amongst musicians about development and development not really being a thing. And um, yeah, I mean, and it's you know, the, I guess the mar- Well, at least we're we're told the margins on it are, are so thin that record companies can't really afford to come into an artist until they've got a following a lot of the time. Um, But maybe that's not true. I think they're they're probably getting money from their investments in Spotify and whatnot as well. Well,
0: I remember when Gemini used to make music videos, one of the like creative directors at Sony, you know, we'd pitch an idea and maybe it was like out there or whatever. And the example she always used was you look at Lady Gaga's first music video, Just Dance. It is the most conventional pop song and pop. Her presentation is conventional. She just looks like she could be any number of pop stars. Once that was a hit, then she busted out the meat dress. (laughs) Like you sort of, you've got to, you've got to, don't scare people at first, just be the most kind of acceptable, palatable, marketable version of yourself. And then you can wear the meat dress. (laughs) Australia
1: is hard for that stuff too. Like it's, it's, it's a very small population. We we're a big, we feel like a big country, but it is actually a pretty small population. So to get then that percentage of the population that's going to like your music and then to not piss any of them off, I guess, like, it's it's rather creatively conservative by, um, yeah, just by
0: pure pure, um, just
1: because of the numbers.
0: <laughs> right. so, did you drop your laptop? Then <laughs>
1: I just I just <laughs> moved my leg. I picked it up and I was just <laughs> trying to make you dizzy. Actually,
0: <laughs> get, com- get comfortable. <laughs> did it work? Yeah. No, you, no, you didn't make me dizzy at all. Um, so you're in LA now.
1: <laughs> I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, I um, got here a couple of nights ago. I'm here for a week.
0: Okay, so you're not living yeah. there.
1: I am allegedly living here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm about to fly to australia uh for a couple of weeks for a wedding then i'm coming back here to hopefully work on this silent film i'm gonna to try to, to and then i'm gonna then go to mexico and do this experiential art thing i've designed
0: so but where are you based then where's home well la right okay yeah and that's after spending you know quite a bit of time in new york so yes. i've just been pom- in
1: tuxedo park for the last few weeks actually which is upstate new york where the tuxedo was invented yeah, I had to fact check that one, but you yeah, I a tuxedo
0: I, park from. So, is it kind of like champagne? Like sparkling white wine comes from champagne. So, tuxedos, they're called formal suits, but if they're so from you, tuxedo. <laughs> I don't think
1: I, I don't think they've like I don't think they've made any lawsuits where you can't call it a tuxedo if it's made if the bow tie comes from uh, is made in some made somewhere else. But yeah.
0: <laughs> so what? But what prompted the move from east to west? Uh was La it people ask me, me this. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was yeah. talking about how good the West Coast is. Yeah, oh, I, heard Calif- I heard California
1: <laughs> likes to party um, <laughs> in the city, uh, but anyway, I, I it's actually the opposite of that. Is because it's less fun here. I moved here because I can get a little more more work done and less DJing, less partying. Yeah,
0: right. Is that because it's like LA so spread out and like separated it's probably
1: because i know less people i don't know i just new york it's just it swallows me up it's the funnest place it's disneyland
0: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i can imagine that would be a challenge although on one hand you're getting inspiration right because you're constant stimulation constant like you know um but then being able to shut that off and actually focus on work yeah but i found la la quite easy to to just sort of block things out and feel isolated because you got to drive everywhere and stuff. So if you don't want to get some work done, it's quite easy just to shut the door and get cracking.
1: Yeah, I'm th- I'm three albums like in the can that I haven't released. I don't need more inspiration for a while.
0: What do you, what do you mean three? I mean three I've albums got like recorded. I'm about
1: to put out an album and then I've got two other ones written for yeah. So it's like I, I probably need to chill out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how, and so how long a period of time does it take to do three albums worth of material?
1: I mean, I, I write every day. I write all the time for different things and, you know, sometimes I'll write a piece of music like the thing I'm doing in Mexico, I wrote all this music about colours where I got the frequency of a colour and I got its relative octave in sound and then created these pieces of music um, and then I'll do something for an ad that won't get put on the ad, or for, and then that'll turn into a Fascinator song because it was too weird for an ad. And then
0: I was going to ask be, that: uh, Have, have so, you ever like done that when you've been contracted for a job, like a commercial thing, where you're like, you know, actually, this is pretty good. I might just like save that one for me and well, buy something new.
1: It's more that I make something I like, which means it's probably not not always right for an ad, and it won't be right. And I'll and I'll then yeah. But uh, some of the companies try and own the stuff that you send them, which I don't really like that but yeah
0: right oh <laughs> yeah. is that like it's a buyout so i'm going to buy it deal
1: it's a really a weird system that i don't really agree with um the, the the commercial composer well just parts of it um i i uh yeah it's it's we don't need to bitch about that here i just yeah it's like weird where you're like you'll write a write a piece of music and then this company will own it but i just spoke yeah. to a,
0: a mate who went and saw peaches played at um the beach hotel in, in Byron Bay. And apparently she did a cover version of, um, in Bangalore. there's a store called Abracadabra. She yep. did a cover version of the Abracadabra jingle.
1: Abracadabra in Bangalore, west, west, <laughs> west of Byron Bay. west of Byron Bay. say day.
0: in Bangalore,
1: west of Bay. Has the biggest bunch of baskets under the sun. are open every day you find us here between 10 and 4, abracadabra's the name. We promise satisfaction or your money back, keeping you happy's our game. Abracadabra, right on the highway, west of Byron Bay. The biggest bunch of baskets under the sun, come in and say good day. Driving in between, one, I was, anyway, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that is because she used to go to Lismore a lot. I lived in Lismore for a while. I remember Peaches would, I think, come and hang out there.
0: Ah right, yeah. it was just so weird because I'd literally been saying to my mate we were walking past Abracadabra, and I sang the jingle to him, and he'd never heard it. And then he, a week later, he's at the beach hotel on beaches, is, is on stage singing it. Didn't you? I, I, didn't you go up to Victoria? Though, how did you hear it? Um, oh, yeah, I got enough friends who live in, in Bangalore, uh, who grew up around Bangalore because it, it it was just a regional television ad, right? Like, yeah, it, it was only,
1: it was like whatever the, I can't even remember what it was called back then. Like, yeah, it was just regional. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like Channel 10, it was whatever the regional version of that it was. And yeah,
0: Iona's, um, uh, we went to the beach the other day and I sang her the slip, slop, slap, um, oh, yeah. jingle. <laughs> and she, like, it's now her. I mean, I mean, she loves fascinated, but uh, <laughs> it's now top of her playlist is "I mean, Sid that, the seagull."
1: It was a golden age of uh, television jingles back then. Like, what, whatever happened to that? They were timeless.
0: <laughs> well, I, back then, I, I imagine too, like if you if you penned one of those things, like you'd be like set for a, a long time, right? The yep. money would have been amazing.
1: Yeah, well, that's I guess that's the thing about the what I was getting to. You sh- you should retain ownership of things you write that sort of stuff because yeah. If it if it if it goes forever, you should be getting money from that.
0: <laughs> I think that's also changed though. Like all those contracts have changed with in terms of when it comes to IP. Like everyone wants to own everything now. <laughs> like just yeah, in my experience. I,
1: I will never the- I will never agree with fucking over the artist, that, and it's just more and more fucking over the artist. And um, yeah, um, uh, it's 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 uh, it's we, we they just people take a cut at every every chance, and um,
0: well, you know, good eat back- too, man. <laughs> it comes back to your um what you're saying before about the democratization, because th- I, for, for the you know the companies that have the streaming platforms, that have the you know the whatever uh, media platform it is, because there is such a wealth of material out there, they just play a numbers game where they just buy everything, and for a pittance, and then that doesn't matter. They don't have to invest that heavily in it because it's just the weight of numbers. Like after a while, all those percentages comes in and, and, and makes money. Cause you know, we've looked at deals with um like Spotify and stuff, you know, when we, before we migrated all our pods to, to listener. And but I was just quite shocked by just how little they have to do, <laughs> like what they yeah. want and how, and how little they have to do.
1: Yeah. I, they, they have, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I, I said to someone they should I hope they start doing what Red Bull did where Red Bull set up studios all around the world and they kind of Red Bull kind of really became this cool brand I think because of all their work with music not that I drink Red Bull now because of it but so maybe it didn't work anyway um but <laughs> But, but you have
0: but taken up I parachuting, did, hang gliding, did. and snowboarding.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I and I did drink an obligatory Red Bull when I was in the studio. But I think Spotify has started to do that. So hopefully they've started to kind of realize, hey, we we should gotta give back somehow. So I think that I
0: think all the streaming platforms are realizing the same thing because it was it was a bit like the dot com boom. Like, you know, everyone was opening and st- but now they're starting to realize it isn't sustainable and because Netflix are trialing this thing with passwords, you've probably read about where yeah. There, it's it, it, I, I read one proposal which was insane, which was like you've all got to be on the same IP address so it can only be devices in the same house. And if you travel for work or whatever and you want to watch a film on your phone, you have to email Netflix for a, like a permission slip and then they send you like a 30-day pass that you can only on your device. It's like no one's going to agree to that. And I think they very quickly cancelled it, but they have to – They're losing so much money because I believe, especially for Netflix, you know, because they tried to do Netflix Studios, they produce their own content and own it outright, but they haven't; those shows haven't done well enough, so they're still having to rely on buying other content, and they're buying content from their from their competition, who are like, sure, you can have Seinfeld for you know two years, just pay six billion (laughs) dollars. So they're just like hemorrhaging money trying to stay relevant. Is that a real number
1: they they paid? I don't know if that's a real no. number, but they do
0: <laughs> they do but they do pay overs because they yeah. their model is built on subscription. Yeah. And so, you know, I love that some kind of, they had some board meeting, and they're like, shit, like we're hemorrhaging money, what do we do? I know. What if we limit passwords? What if we make it illegal for you to give your grandmother your Netflix password? Yeah.
1: I think it was isn't it like checking into the in to connecting to the Wi Fi every thirty days?
0: Oh yeah, something like that. I think that was yeah. the Let's one just, they, they just show you. I mean, as I heard someone say in another pod, like, look, you're, you, you are marginally less hassle than piracy. Don't uh, drive us back to piracy.
1: Like- well, yeah, I was going to say there's a really good streaming platform called thepiratebay.org. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although I was never any good at that stuff like back before like streaming if i wanted to find a movie like people would send me what are they called there's another name like what's the- torrents p- torrent sites yeah yeah i'd always end up downloading something that was like it didn't work or i just i, a I virus. never found it <laughs> <laughs> heaps of viruses <laughs> i just could never seem to find or like you'd search for the movie you wanted or the song or whatever it was and you'd have to click through like people put up like dummy versions because there's there's some click ad attached to it or whatever i never found it as easy as some people make it out to be
1: yeah i mean i I would never so i wouldn't
0: (laughs) (laughs) i can't work out if you're joking or not (laughs) i think if it's not available in any other form that it's okay like i mean if if you're denying an artist money sure but like if you're trying to find something that you cannot that's just not accessible through physical media or online i don't think there's anything wrong with downloading it is there (sighs)
1: Uh, I, I, it depends who it is and what it is. I think, you know, if it's um, if it's a, and 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 News Corp, um, production, maybe I don't feel so bad. <laughs> 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 I did ask, I, I will say, I did ask ChatGPT for some topics that we could talk about. We've just managed to flow, so oh yeah, um, sure. I yeah. No, no,
0: no, I love a bit of AI. What do you got? So, okay, I'll read out some.
1: Um, I just sort of said um, some like interesting pop uh, podcast ideas cryptids do you know what cryptids oh, yeah.
0: are yeah, yeah totally. creatures that are rumored
1: to exist but have not been <laughs> proven like the Loch Ness Monster Bigfoot or Chupacabra
0: now I'm saying...
1: wondering if you know what Chupacabra is
0: oh no I don't know what Chupacabra no, I'm is I'm probably
1: pronouncing it. I don't either but is it can... Mexican I don't know a
0: Mexican boogeyman
1: I don't know do you want <laughs> me to look it up? up
0: yeah look it up <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, that was the first thing ChatGPT gave me. I'm actually writing, a, working on uh, religion with ChatGPT at the moment. It's helping me write the doctrines. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: And what's it saying though? Eliminate all humans? Chupa. How do you spell uh, choppa, choppa cubra? Uh, chupa chupa cuba? C h u p a. Yeah. Um. See. C- uh, oh, here we go. Cubra. Yeah. Okay, so a, chup- a chupacabra is an animal said to exist in Latin, parts of Latin America. That's why I thought okay. it was Mexican. Yeah. Where it supposedly attacks animals, especially goats doesn't give an image of what it looks like, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there, an artist's rendition of the Chupacabra, it kind of looks a bit like the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's like oh, half cool. lizard, half man. Oh, It literally translates. <laughs> do you, you want to take a punt at what it translates to in English, Chupacabra? Uh,
1: yeah. It's, like a, um, it's, a, it's, it's a, like a snake that can't spell cross with a chopper chop, like with a lollipop.
0: <laughs> well, I'll give you a hint. Um, chupa means to suck, <laughs> and so cabra refers to a specific it, animal. Okay,
1: so I'm thinking it's like a it's a flashlight with six legs.
0: <laughs> uh, it means a goat sucker, a oh. chupacabra. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ! I know, <laughs> but it's specifically about a demon or a an, an animal that um, attaches uh, t- attacks goats. The name is attributed to Puerto Rican comedian. Silvio Perez, who coined the label in 1995 while commenting on attacks as a, sw- a San Juan DJ. All right, so it's only recently yeah, been- That is a, a relatively modern cryptid. Yeah. Well, okay, so the history is in 1975, a series of livestock killings in Puerto Rico were attributed to a Vampiro de Moca, the Vampire of Moca. Initially, it was suspected the killings were committed by a satanic cult. Oh, God, I love the, 90s, uh, the 70s, the satanic panic. Uh, if you later, can have a more
1: cult, I think it's satanic. Cult, why why are, there, are there many satanic cults left, except for the Church of um, Satan, Satan in America? I mean, they do good work.
0: Yeah, but that's more ironic, right? Isn't that more just lame? Like, well, hey. I don't
1: know. I think it's time to bring it back into music. I'm sick of all the Christian bands, Bieber and Kanye, as well. Like, they're, they're, remember when there was more satanic music and it was kind of scary? Yeah. 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 What happened yeah. to that?
0: Well, could Fascinator do that? Could you yeah, weave so. that in? Into- well,
1: it's not really on brand for me, but I, I, I could start a band that's satanic, another band.
0: Can you please do, because it was always that urban myth and I never actually heard, can you record a track where if I play it backwards, you're telling me like some kind of satanic message? So should, how would do, yeah, you do I could, that? I
1: can definitely do that. Well, you'd just be like- um,
0: I mean how do you Nita how does it work
1: are, pray, pray Satan backwards? <laughs> <she> <pray." laughs> okay.
0: So hang on. So no, you would have to record no jazz. That. <laughs> But it only works with the vinyl, right? Because you can't play. Uh, you MP3s can definitely reverse backwards.
1: it. You can reverse an MP3. You just have to put it in
0: into some uh, program. quick
1: QuickTime player would probably do it.
0: Yeah, but your average Joe listening, if I'm listening to your new single on my iPhone, I'm not gonna be able to play it backwards you're gonna to have to release it limited edition vinyl because that if you really want to tap into that satanic market nothing's more satanic than yeah. vinyl
1: oh we just released the the reverse version as well and we and we do a backwards film clip
0: oh that's an amazing idea what if you release the whole album is like when you play it forwards it's all just satanic messages yeah but then when you play it backwards it's, it's actually recipes it's like no, yeah, it's rec- yeah, t- take your, yeah. Take, go, be nice to your neighbour and stuff, and give yeah. your mum a call and, and he, a, banana shit.
1: bread recipes.
0: I mean, you need a palindrome though. You would need some phrase that uh, it, it, when you say it one way, it's evil, but then when you play it backwards, it's it, it's positive. I don't know. I, if that I bet my little AI
1: friend can help me write this for you.
0: Okay, <laughs> do it. Or oh, I'll do it. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to put in there though? Can I'm- you write? The most satanic verse. What is the? Can you? I've never used Chat GPT or whatever. It's called. What is it? Chat Chat man, Chat, Chat, yeah. Chat man Chatman Cruthers. Yeah.
1: Chatman. Just type do. In,
0: Can you write me uh, the most satanic song or the most satanic lyrics?
1: All right. I I did. Um. It, it might be taboo. We'll see. Hopefully, it lets me. Because of of course, one of the first things we put in it was, "How do I make a million dollars next week?" And it doesn't yeah, like it is. doesn't like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what what about? Can you put in? I um, know oh, I was going to say what what sentence means two different things forwards and backwards. I yeah. think that's uh, probably yeah, going to break its brain yeah.
1: A man a plan Panama. We'll just use that as an example. And what is it? There. A man a plan Panama.
0: A man a, a plan one? Panama. No, yeah. okay, yeah. right. But that. But we want it to be um, one also, way means yeah, something completely okay, different. Okay, more like I
1: think more than once was a man from
0: Nantucket. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you with the writing your satanic album. No,
1: you're the producer. You're, you're you're Andy Warhol. I'm the Velvet Underground.
0: Let's do this. Okay, we'll just type in. Just type into your little. I'm AI do it right now. now. Right now, okay. I want you to do it right now. Just okay, um, come so, up with a come come up with some satanic lyrics for my song. Write me um, some satanic lyrics
1: <laughs> for my song. Yeah. For my, should we do any other other? Um, parameters as like input. for my yeah. um gentle folk song or for my yeah for my gentle folk song all right write me some satanic lyrics for my gentle folk song all right i'm sorry but as an ai language model i cannot feel okay yeah they don't like it they've, they're not they've got to be careful
0: the, they have to be there's care- not, not like satan or is it not like folk music That's they're the
1: now like just putting parameters in so someone can't go um how say the you? most
0: racist thing. <laughs> yeah, or
1: how would you commit a terrorist act in um, oh, Antarctica? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's, like, things that <laughs> won't do. So it doesn't, like, say. I bet if I'm like, write me some Christian lyrics. Today, this is discrimination against Satanists. Yeah, we'll put, let's see. Type I don't that want in. to write, write
0: some Christian lyrics. No, but you're not. The computers. Okay. But type it right. in. and see if it's biased right.
1: against Satanists. No, watch this. Write me, because I've put I've put already information about Phasontology, my religion, the Church of Phasontology, in there. So I might write me a short um poem about phasentology let's see what happens because it knows about phasentology i've been talking to it what yeah so i phasentology yeah i um i told it that we're an autotheistic religion so they've got polytheism with many gods monotheism one god and um autotheism is uh yourself as the god we uh believe that birds are the cousins of angels um we think uh neurodivergent categories are the new horoscopes um and what else did i tell it i told it just about a few things like that and then it, it just pr- like printed out this like t- um, pumped out this massive doctrine like with all these different kind of categories but it has written me a um a poem so would you like okay. to hear it yeah absolutely Facetology, a faith divine where self is god and birds do shine Neurodivergent souls, unique and whole, guide us on a path to know our role. We hold ourselves to highest grace and see the divine in every face. With respect for all, we build a community where growth and change are opportunities. In Fastontology, we find our way through self discovery every day. Our spirits soar like birds above, embracing life with boundless love.
0: You've got to use that. That's amazing. That's like, amazing. Yeah,
1: i i i yeah, I've be i yeah, I'm turning it into something. Don't worry, it's a it's a pretty big project. Right, creating a religion, I'm I I, I guess that's pretty uh, self-evident. But
0: <laughs> I wonder if um Can you type in Can you type in um uh, as a Catholic prayer? Oof, you're obsessed. I see what... You're obsessed with your upbringing. No, no, I'm just kidding because it, sound, it sounded like a prayer. Like it did sort of make me think about being a kid and it's like, oh, that's what prayers sound like. Fastentology as
1: a Catholic prayer. I, I've yeah. really asked it to do anything. I'm just, okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, this is a good answer. So, And I would have given you the same answer in in my own words. I must inform you that fastentology and Catholicism are two distinct and separate religions with different beliefs and practices. It would not be appropriate to create a prayer that combines the two faiths. However... If you would like a prayer in the context of Fascintology, I can certainly assist with that. Thank you, ChatGPT, for holding true to our our beliefs, and our central tenets. We we respect all religions, but we don't need the to the befouling our the purity of our um, of our teachings.
0: All right, give me give me one more. Give me a Fascintology prayer then. So we've had a poem. Let's see if the what okay. the prayer is okay. like. Um, That's interesting because yes, I want to know please. if you're praying to a god or gods. Or yourself.
1: Divine within, hear my call. I am my own God, standing tall. Guide me on this path divine. Let your light within me shine. Birds above, cousins of the divine, carry my prayers to realms sublime. May my thoughts and actions reflect the power and love that I project. In my journey, may I find strength, wisdom, and peace of mind. May my spirit soar and thrive as I navigate this wondrous life. With respect for all and love as my guide, may I be a force for good, shining bright. In Phasontology, I put my trust in myself, in the divine, and in us.
0: That's brilliant. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot of separation between the Phasontology poem and the Phasontology prayer. This one's a bit more of an appeal, I guess. That's the difference. But it just does go to show you like how, how religion is so easily uh, copied and reproduced like it, there's a real set formula if you wanted to start a cult like it's easy it's real easy cuz that it's convincing like i listened to that as a reformed catholic and i'm like oh yeah i mean this sounds like a pretty good system of belief i could get yeah. into that like yeah. it just sort of highlights how systems-based it is and how easy it is to duplicate or mock.
1: Well, I think in religion, I, I was i was going to joke at the start of this podcast, we should talk about politics and religion. That always goes well, uh, and here we are. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, religion is good for giving kind of big, broad answers to impossible questions.
0: Yeah, and so, uh, psychics, um, so are psychics. So psychics. <laughs> they just had the Starlight Festival in town. So are psychics, I uh, hear you think. Yeah. <laughs> Psychics cover charge three day festival, and there's a cover charge. It's like, what? Um, Johnny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, uh, do you want to plug anything? Have you got like any releases or yeah. tours coming up I think that you want to March,
1: plug? I think March 3rd or 5th. I have the first uh single coming out from my um new record. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm even we haven't announced it yet, but I don't know when this gets played. But yeah, I have the first single coming out uh, next week, March 5th or 3rd. I can't yeah, remember great. which. It's called Love is Coming. And it's a folky kind of. Uh, it's the thing that we, the Beatles mastering guy Paul mastered that I did on all the tapes. Yeah,
0: it's, it's. And so, a, how it's, can people find it? They, they, they uh, it'll be. You? It'll
1: come out as Fascinator. Um, yeah, Fascinator Love Songs is the album, or Love Is Coming is the,
0: um, the song. And yep. so, I guess we just uh, follow you on uh, follow Lord Fascinator on
1: Instagram. Lord Fascinator yeah. is the easiest way to find me.
0: We'll yep. put a link in the episode description. Uh, Johnny, thanks so much for doing the show. Thanks, Charlie. We'll Good to soon. see your
1: face. <laughs> see ya. Bye. <laughs>
0: listener.